So much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. This week on the AW360 podcast, I speak with Marin Seitz of Analytic Partners. Marin and I discuss riding the waves of instable consumer behavior, getting serious about privacy, the inevitability of media inflation, and purpose. I hope you enjoy this episode. Marin, welcome to the AW360 podcast. Glad to have you on today. Thanks so much for that, Richard. Glad to be here. And you're in, where did you say you were at? I'm in Munich at the moment. Munich. It sounds so much better when you're there and you say it than if I just say it here. I've honestly never been. So it's, it's kind of, I've not, I've not, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed to admit it. You will, you will definitely have to come once, once all this eases up, you know, you'll have to come over. It's beautiful. Yeah, well, the sooner we can get there, the better, because I would. there's a whole slew of places I'd like to go, and Munich is actually on the list. So, um, Oh, good. Yeah. Tell me what you guys do at Analytic Partners. So Analytic Partners, we're an analytics company. What we um, specialize in is technology-led um, business decision support, if you like. So we have, we've just been named as um, a leading provider by Foresters for marketing optimization. So we have great technology in that space. We help, help people in a way to optimize their business decisioning um, through our technology and through our consulting services. And so the next natural question for me, when it comes to any time somebody mentions data or analytics <laughs> is the privacy issue. I mean, we're, we're watching the, albeit slow demise of the third-party cookie. Yeah. Where do we go from there? Where do you go from there? See, the thing is, it's been a topic for quite a while. I'm sure you'd agree. What, what I find is that the conversation is changing a little bit. So there used to be a lot of talk around how do we find a replacement? How can we just keep doing business as usual? And now we can really see people getting more serious. So how that impacts analytics is that we see a much bigger interest in solutions that are less dependent on user level data. Because ultimately I think by now everybody has realized that any type of targeting or measurement that relies on user level tracking is sooner or later simply not going to um, be reliable anymore, simply not going to be available anymore. How that doesn't affect us is so we don't actually in what we do is we do what's called commercial mix analytics, which is a little bit like marketing mix modeling that doesn't depend on user level data. Um, so what we have at the moment a lot is that people that currently use, I don't know if that's a, a term everybody's familiar with, multi-touch attribution, mm -hmm. which, which depends on this type of data. Many of these clients are now approaching us and saying, okay, what is the alternative you can offer? And then we can tell them actually these days, it's no longer the good old marketing mix model. It's a commercial mix model and it can go much deeper, much more granular, much faster than you used to. And that is one way to get around these sort of privacy challenges. And I don't know, Richard, if you're familiar, but here in Europe, it's really getting even more heated up this topic. We just had a few court cases, I think in Austria and in France, 
um, where now website providers are really worried about being taken to court because of uh, data that's collected by Google Analytics being routed through the US where the GDPR doesn't apply. So now the, the hunt for alternative solutions is definitely on, I think. Actually, that's one of the things I've wondered about for a number of years because most of the internet, they, they stay still flows through the United States. And, you know, that has to have an impact on all these things along the way. How do you sort Absolutely. of advise clients on sort of achieving that balance between what's useful versus, you know, what could be construed as creepier and intrusive to consumers? See, I think what we started, we started having a mindset that we can simply just look at consumers and follow them around, you know, like in the dark coat, in the dark alleys and just observe them without truly them understanding what's happening, without true consent. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing now is that it's going much more to necessarily to see consumers as people again, you know, so, so it has to be a much more transparent process. There have to be options for consumers to opt out if they want to. And we have to, rather than trying to rely on, on any sort of mechanics to target them, we have to find ways again, to really get to them with relevant data and ideally build a relationship with them first through our own channels. So what I think will actually be a quite nice outcome of all of this is, like I say, that we go back to rather than being creepy and stalky to um, really trying to find out who these consumers are as people and getting a bit closer to them that way with transparency and with consent. And how does that work in our ever-growing omni-channel sort of world? How that works that we get closer to them, you mean? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, one thing is always to um, obviously to collect first party uh, data to find out a bit more about your consumers. Another thing is, I think what people have learned during the pandemic when consumer behaviors were so unpredictable, you couldn't rely on anything that you'd learned in the past. So you had to use much more observation. You had to use much more research. You had to really meet consumers and try and learn about them. If you think, for example, about introducing delivery options, contactless payment, um, outdoor dining, all of these things businesses had to come up with simply based on observing what consumers do because nothing in the past could have told them that that is, that that is happening. Um, one thing we'd recommend to weather these changes because that agility will have to stay. Consumers will keep changing. They're not going to go back to some nice new normal that I think we kept fantasizing about at the start of the pandemic. And um, so what you really need is, is a strong brand. So I don't know how you think about that, but we still see a very strong focus on performance-based marketing, for example. You know, it's all about short-term success. It's about fast conversions. And often the, the brand gets neglected in that. And that does, funny enough, make you more vulnerable to behavior changes. Um, because what a brand, a strong brand will do is it'll make sure that you stay in the consideration set and not necessarily so dependent on what channel someone visits, visits or where, where they purchase. You, you'll, you sort of get a certain resilience against that. You get more time because you're still top of mind for them. Plus you're building up consideration of people that might not be your customers right now so that you can get in future. So something that we preach at the moment is to really be customer centric. And that includes focusing on your brand as well um, and getting that nice balance between these sort of short-term performance metrics and the, and the brand messaging, right? Because that'll make you a bit more resilient for future changes too. 
Is it easier, do you think, for brands who have just I think of them as super fans. I know we have you know, all kinds <laughs> of terms for them. But, you know, when you think of like an Apple, for example, you yeah. know, there are people, sadly, like myself, who are just nonstop 24 seven zealots for Apple and their products. And we treat them differently than we treat other brands. And so do you think it's it's inherently easier for those brands to kind of not only ask for data, which is kind of ironic, given the fact that Apple is kind of openly telling people, hey, you know, we're not going to pass this stuff along to anyone anymore if yeah. you don't want to. But it's a little easier for them. They not only own the ecosystem and the devices and all that, but, you know, they have that brand affinity that I think everybody craves. Is it easier for those brands to kind of weather the storm of uncertainty and change and sort of rapid uh, kind of about face, yeah. you know, like we just experienced? I think I think it's two things. I think is one is the category. So any sort of high engagement category, which you'll get in technology, which you might get in, in larger purchases, where you have a bit of emotional engagement, they will find it easier to also have consumers willing to share data because it almost um, you have to engage with the brands within the category so much and you invest so much. That's already a difference. And the other thing, as you say, yeah, the, the brands themselves stand for something for one because they've invested in standing for something but also because they're often prestigious purchases so they end up becoming part of who I want to be presenting as a person so mm -hmm. definitely for those for people to be open to share information there's easier than say if you want to sell a can of corn um, then it can be really hard to get people to be willing to share their data but there's ways around that too you know so you can you can just have nice interactions with consumers and, and ask them in a, in a light-hearted way to maybe sh share some of their information or you can rather than trying to gather their data you can go contextual and you can just derive on and the context you're in, what people might be responding to, or ultimately you can do consumer research as well to really understand their needs. So there are ways around user level tracking and i think they've always existed we just sort of forgot <laughs> that that they <laughs> yeah. existed and that we can maybe still tap into them well it kind of leads me to my next question so um i have this fascinating statistic in front of me and this actually kind of goes into an unprompted uh, unsolicited uh promotion for one of our other podcast series um okay. it's a the the edelman trust barometer we do a podcast with edelman called the trust makers ironically enough you can find that on uh, spotify apple Podcasts, etc uh, but the, the Edelman Trust Barometer has a finding that 86% of people expect CEOs to speak out on societal issues in 2021. Um, you know, we're in 2022 now. Um, so I guess it's, it's a two-part question. Number one, did they? And number two, was that a good idea? Yeah, I love this topic, can I just say? It's just, it's just fascinating, I think. So yeah, they did. So I don't have the stats here for you, but I could send them to you. They did. But especially they're planning to do so even more simply because companies are feeling the pressure right so um if you think of friday for futures or, or something people are just much more critical they expect much more from brand from brands so brands need to invest in sustainability especially and many then have that desire that okay now i have made this investment how can i increase the roi of that um i went to the fworks conference in london i don't know if you if you know it um, and Peter Field spoke there last year, and he spoke about purpose-related campaigns. And afterwards, he said he's expecting a tidal wave of sustainability-related advertising to be heading our way. 
And that's exactly what we see here too. I just saw a stat, I think it was either for Germany or for Europe as a whole, that 56% of CMOs were saying they're planning to um, have sustainability-related communication because obviously in that attempt to monetize their efforts. Why I'm a bit, um, see, we call the sort of brands need a purpose or, or do they? Because consumers are very savvy these days. So you need to be able to back up what you're claiming. And one example that comes to mind is last year in June, I think there was an analyst who um, for Pride Month who looked at brands that had put the, the rainbow flag on their logo, mm -hmm. but saw that many of them only did it in Western countries and didn't do so in countries where people in the LGBTQ community are suppressed or prosecuted. And then that came out and blew up. And obviously consumers then very easily see that as a like woke washing, you know? So yeah. you're just starting to look fake. So if you can't back it up, I'd say don't do it. Um, the, the second thing is it really has to feature brand. So Mark Ritson wrote a piece about this thing was Hellman's um, having purpose-related communication. The question is, does a mayonnaise brand need to say something about purpose or have a purpose? I'm not, I'm not sure they do. And if you look at if you look at what Peter Field said at FWorks, he showed that a large proportion of purpose campaigns are actually simply not very effective. They can definitely work, but they just need to be done right, you know? Yeah. And, and do you think, and this is kind of along the same lines, do you think that as consumers, we're looking for that, that alignment with maybe our own values as a way of kind of compensating for maybe what we're not getting out of politicians these days. I mean, it just seems very strange to me that, you know, it, to the Hellman's example, I mean, why would anyone really, I don't want to say why would they care? I mean, I would love for mm -hmm. everybody to have good values towards, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, ecological concerns, you know, humanity as a whole, et cetera. But what would be the expectation? And is there, is there some brands more than others? And what sort of differentiates those? See, I think in a way, consumers almost see it as a bit of a hygiene factor these days, so that you make sure that your, um, you know, that that your products aren't produced in a sweatshop somewhere, and that you that you're not polluting the environment and things. I think this is something almost you just have to get right so that there's not not a backlash when it comes to which brands do I maybe respond well to when they communicate it. It, it probably comes back to your example from before. It's these type of brands that that I want to identify with, mm -hmm. so that sort of say something about me when I buy them. So there's these, like you say, these these types of purchases, like um, like um, smartphones, maybe. So these are the ones that I would maybe expect it from, but it has to absolutely fit the brand. And I think that would be our first watch out: is make sure that this is a credible purpose that this fits your brand that people will say this is something that I buy that I really believe that these guys could stand for and if it's not then maybe it's better to just advertise with something something else not everybody broadcasts their efforts um, and I think that needs to be really well thought through for people. Do you think that maybe a better approach to this might be to go out there be about good things, do good things, and don't necessarily broadcast it as much as you would so that it's, it's, it's a value versus, you know, kind of a marketing angle. Yeah. So you mean not even use it in marketing efforts? 
Well, I mean, it would be there somewhere lurking in the background. I, I think, you know, one of the one of the most effective things I've seen in recent years in marketing is, you know, especially here in America on television, you see a far more diverse group of people than you've ever seen in all ads across the board. And yeah. it's, it's a wonderful thing. It really is. I mean, it definitely reflects, you know, who we are as a society these days. And, you know, that's, you know, if you're showing a snapshot of America, it's the best way to go. When it comes to things like being kind to the environment, I don't really know what that looks like. But then, you know, I'm not a CMO yeah. of one of these companies either. It seems like there would be ways of sort of representing that without outwardly needing to say so or necessarily beating that point home through your advertising. I think so too. I think so too. And and I was on the panel for um, advertising effectiveness a while back, like I think two years back. And we all saw ads that were purpose related. And half the time we're just rolling our eyes because we were saying we just we just can't <laughs> see it anymore. <laughs> you know, because everybody has done it. And I agree with you. I think one thing I read is that purpose by definition really should not be related to profit. It should be something that that you want to stand for, that you believe in. And what you just described for me is something that's almost natural. I'm trying desperately to avoid the term authentic because it's just so overused. But if it's something that's naturally woven into the way that you advertise and you communicate, simply because that's also the culture in your business and maybe the, the mindset in your business, I also think that that can be more impactful than trying to create a campaign for your toothpaste around, around purpose. <laughs> you know, well, they say that uh, no term is less authentic than the term authentic. Yeah, um, right. I couldn't resist that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving to my final and quite possibly always my favorite question, because it's the time during the uh, during the show, I get to put everybody a little bit on the spot. Oh, no. Yes, yes. Looking ahead five years and assuming that all goes well with the pandemic. And by well, I mean, it's gone never to be thought of again. Wishful thinking, I know, but humor me. Where do you see the industry and all the things that we've discussed in the past few minutes? In five years, you know, I think there'll always be changes. There'll be technological disruption. There'll be um, there'll be something happening. I don't want to say there's another pandemic, but we'll, we'll manage to to create cook something up that'll be super disruptive. I think one thing that's here to stay is that now and in five years time people will have become much more used to acting fast to adapting fast to experimenting much more to also not feel like they they have to rely on their ex own expertise so much but they they can pull in expertise from somewhere else so flexibility and agility i think are something that's um, here to stay the other thing i'll say though and i might sound like a grandma I think no matter what happens, there's a few fundamentals in marketing and in human behavior that will always apply. You know, so every time that we thought the whole industry is breaking, it was it was mostly just a phase and we all adapted. And that'll be also the case um, going forward. You know, we might see the metaverse taking off. We might see all of these things, but human behavior and, and uh, how we address them and how we need to understand them and also how some channels interact with each other. I don't think it's, it's going to be hugely dramatic. I probably should have said something dramatic now, right, Richard? But I just, I just don't think so. I prefer the stuff that's less dramatic. I mean, oh, myself, good. yes. I, I just, I like the realistic answer. 
rather than the, uh, the the sort of fluffy answer. I realize the latter is probably better for a sound bite. And, you know, <laughs> let's face it, sound bites are great for the listenership of the show, but I would rather yeah. stay rooted in things that might actually happen. Um, but no, Maren, this has been fantastic. It was wonderful to have you on today. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much, Richard. Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.